Well, friends, let's uh, take a look at Ecclesiastes. This is the book that we've been going through for the past two months, and we are just about at the end. Today we're taking a look at just six verses, and then next week we'll be ending off the book. This book looking at what life under the sun is like and trying to teach us uh, God's wisdom in the midst of this life. What does it mean to live wisely? What does it mean to live foolishly? And how can we orient our lives to God's kingdom in the here and now? This is what this book has been all about. Um, today, this passage is really all about one key idea, and it's about taking risks by faith for the glory of God. That in all the midst of this life under the sun, there are going to be things, there are going to be decisions that we have to make that sometimes don't seem to make any sense. Or they seem extremely risky. And if we, if we want to extend God's kingdom, we have to take those risks. That's what this passage will teach us. So I, I'm going to read this passage. Instead of in the past little while, we've been reading it privately at home. Let me read it this today, and then we'll go back through and make some notes about the passage. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. So if you have a Bible at home, break it out, break it out uh, follow along. You can just sort of open up your Bible to the center, and you'll get pretty close to where Ecclesiastes is. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Some really interesting metaphors in this passage today. And you can break it up into three sections of two verses and these two these three sections um the the two verses in each section work together to make a, a very particular point in each section so let's take a look first at the at the first two verses ship your grain across the sea after many days you may receive a return invest in seven ventures yes in eight you do not know what disaster may come upon the land it's using um, obvious language of trade of commerce. Um, the ancient Israelites were uh, agrarian. They were, they were a, a, a culture of agriculture. And um, <laughs> they were an agriculture. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Anyways, they were people who would uh, grow different things and then ship it away. And we see in this text, it's, it's saying, ship your grains, not just next door, don't just pass it around amongst nations nearby. Pass it, send it across the sea. 
and then after many days you will receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. There's a principle behind both of these ideas of sending your your grains away across the sea, as well as in investing in multiple ventures, not just putting, we would say, all your eggs in one basket. Um, Solomon's sort of saying, be a bit of a venture capitalist in a sense, although not necessarily about money. But there's a principle here. It's commit to something whose reward is going to take a while to come in. We are in a culture of instant gratification. We want gratification immediately. And if we don't get it, it it gives us a bit of anxiousness, doesn't it? I just want that thing that I want right now. And if I can't have it, I'm going to shift myself to something that I can get right now. Solomon's saying, oh, no, 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 no. That's not actually how life works. And it's definitely not what is, it's not how life works when there's something worth getting. It takes time and effort. And it's like sending grain across the sea. There's a sense that, you know, if you send, uh, if, if we were to send a ship across the ocean today, it would take weeks to get there, let alone come back. That's what he's saying. Ship it away and it will come back with the reward. But it's going to take a really long time for that to happen. You have to, and you have to be invested in that. You have to put that grain on the ship and send it away knowing that, you know, if it, if it crashes in, in a storm, you're out of luck. And so don't just send one ship out or don't just commit yourself just to that one thing. Commit yourself to a whole bunch of things and send them all out so that you can maybe receive a reward from all of them. That's what he's saying. But this passage is not primarily about money. This passage is about our trusting God and our doing many things for God and the type of reward that we expect from it. Sometimes we tend to treat the Christian life as being this sort of, uh, the sort of ship that we will say, well, I'm going to place all my trust in this one thing. I'm going to, I'm going to put all my trust in Jesus in saying one prayer, and if I don't get the immediate satisfaction of an answer to that prayer, what happens? It, it puts a crack in the foundation of our faith. That ought not be. This passage is saying that ought not be. Especially because it's not really about us. Our faith is not about us. It's about Jesus and trusting in Jesus and allowing allowing God by his spirit to build his kingdom in us and then through us. And this is a relational kingdom, which means that we deepen relationship with Jesus to be able to invite other people into relationship with Jesus. That's what building the kingdom actually means. And then with that comes reconciled relationship and justice in the context of our relationships together. There's all sorts of, of uh, dominoes that fall once we're in right relationship with God because it forces us to take right relationship with each other more seriously. This passage, just at the get-go, is talking in terms of money, and in money terms, but it's not necessarily talking just about money. 
We are to boldly invest our time and our talents and, yes, our treasures so that Jesus can be known and be made known. And we don't just put all our eggs in one basket. We put our time and our talents and our treasures in a number of different places so that we can most effectively see God's kingdom go forth and see people uh, come to deepening faith and deepening relationship with Jesus. And, you know, this, this necessarily implies that some of those things may fail. We might try nine things or ten things, and they, they could all fail. But some of them may also not fail. We should expect some failure and some reward. But it's not really up to us. The success of getting the rewards, of, of receiving the return, is not up to us. It's actually completely out of our hands. We've sent the ship away. Once we've done that, we have nothing, we have nothing left to do but trust that, when, that, that the person at the, uh, at the receiving end of the thing that we're sending out is going to send something back in return. There's, a, there's inherent trust in this, in, this, um, in this sort of transaction. And we have to trust in this transaction that every single time we invest our time and our talents and our treasures, we're giving another opportunity for the spirit of God to, uh, to use us for the saving of souls, for the inviting of more and more people into relationship with Jesus. Which also means that we will see more and more people transformed by that relationship as well. So don't, don't, so we, we don't just ship our grain and invest our time and talents and treasures just in a, in a very, uh, maybe you could say a very, very particular locality, but we try to expand it and try to reach many places and have different, different things on the go to be able to reach as many people as possible. By the way, this is where missions, I, this is where missions work um, sort of finds its footing, right? Um, missions work is all about and supporting missions work, which we do through the Canadian Baptist Ministries, is all about trying to support uh, ministers, church planters, missionaries in all sorts of areas around the world so that we can see more people in those areas come to know Jesus. We're investing often our treasures to be able to do that. But sometimes we can offer our time and our talents, which, uh, which, which is where missions trips come from. But again, the results are not actually up to us. And this is where Solomon immediately goes next. Because in some sense, he knows that humans are risk averse. When we see risk, we go, oh, I don't know about, I don't know about that. We like to wait for the perfect moment to do things. And this includes spiritual matters, spiritual things. We want to wait until we're absolutely certain, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the thing that 
we're discerning is what God has for us, is what God wants us to do. And we're really risk averse and un, until we know something concretely about what we think God wants us to do. But Jesus calls us to a deeper sense of trust, a deeper faith than that, that we're actually asked to step out by faith into uncertainty oftentimes. And then we meet, and then we meet Jesus in that. Anyways, this, this, uh, this passage sort of connects all these different threads together. So let's take a look at verse three again. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And we see this almost, uh, well, this chiastic structure. This is where a topic um, is started at the beginning of a, of a sentence, a paragraph, a passage, and then, and then that same topic ends it, and then the next topic um, is matched, and then, the, and then there's a middle topic. And so we see this with water, then tree falling, and presumably it falls because of, because of wind is the, is the assumption that I'm making. And then, well, and then that, and then that, that connects with the, the verse four, whoever watches this wind, you do not know the path of the wind, how the body is formed. You cannot, oh, Sorry, I went a little bit too far. If clouds are full of water, they pour forth rain. If a tree falls to the north, the, where the, in the place where it falls, that's where it will be. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. And it's connecting at that, at the end, the clouds that are full of water, and then the wind that presumably has just blown down the tree. So it's not necessary, it's not, it's not a very good chiastic structure, I'm realizing. But I hope you see the sort of thing that I'm pointing out. <laughs> and if not, I've wasted a lot of time. So there we go. <laughs> What's the point? What's he trying to do? Farmers can't do anything about the rain. And they can't do anything about wind. Um, especially in storms, right? Like, have you ever, have you ever tried to, to harness the wind, let alone harness the wind in a thunderstorm? Good luck. It's not going to happen. You Go ahead, Don Quixote, try, but it's not going to happen. Um, farmers, however, can choose when they can plant and when they can reap. And this is important, right? Because a farmer knows the conditions. They can look up and see the weather. They can see if it's windy and know that if they try to, sow, to, to, to go out and spread seed in the wind, the seed's just going to get blown away and their efforts are going to be wasted. And that farmer also knows that if it's raining heavily, they, can't, they shouldn't go out to harvest because if they're using machinery, the machinery is going to get stuck. Um, the, their animals are going to get stuck in the mud. They're not going to be able to, to walk properly. And it's going to be really, really, really hard to get those plants out of that soil until the rain stops and it starts to dry up a little bit. Farmers know the conditions and they know what they can do based on those conditions. And it's trying to teach us something about wisdom. Wise people know that they cannot control nature. They can't control the circumstances around them. They can't control the sunrise or the sunset or the things that happen in between. 
those two things or after, but wise people know that they are able to respond with wisdom to the things that happen to them in life. Those things that are well beyond their control. Wisdom and, and really knowing God enables us to be able to face difficult circumstances in life, to be able to face hard decisions with, with grace and be able to face difficult people with compassion and be able to face life with joy and grace. But if we try to control nature, if we try to control situations that are out of our hands, that we can actually do nothing practical about, it paralyzes us, doesn't it? It seizes us. We're not able to move forward. We can't do anything. And that's foolishness. That's folly. If we allow ourselves to be paralyzed, and I'm going to tell you, this is something that I've really wrestled with. And I've, I've thanked the Lord for this passage in the last couple of weeks, because there were situations in the past few weeks, um, particularly related to our building where it just felt like, oh my goodness, I have no control of the situation, but I, but I want to feel like I have some, and it just paralyzed me for days. And then thankfully, my mentor said to me, why are you worrying about something that you have zero control over? Instead, just pay attention to the things you can actually do and, and let tomorrow figure out the rest, essentially. That was the best advice ever. And then this passage is saying the same thing. Being paralyzed by all the things that we can't control in life is foolishness. But being able to look at those things and realize, okay, I can't control this situation. I can't control uh, this outcome. I can't control nature. Then what is my responsibility? What can, what can I do? Well, I think our responsibility is to do what we can and to not be discouraged from work by what might or could happen. Don't allow the fear of the unknown to stop us or to paralyze us. This verse three and four is a bit of a warning about what would have like if we don't do verses one and two, if we don't do what we can, if we don't pursue God's calling, if we don't invite people into God's kingdom, what's going to happen? It's going to paralyze us slowly but surely. And actually, I think it even more so atrophies us from being able to live fully into God's kingdom, to be able to 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 fully follow Jesus's commands. If we never intentionally seek to do what Jesus tells us to do in life. We are not going to magically get up one day and be like, oh, I'm, today I'm going to follow all Jesus, what all Jesus says. If each and every day you choose to hate your enemies instead of love them, you are not going to wake up one day and just decide to start loving your enemies. Each and every day you have trained yourself to hate them. And hate is what you are going to do. You're not going to wake up one day 
and become magically more generous. Generosity and increasing your generosity takes time and effort and planning. It means looking at your budget of your time, of your talents, of your treasure, of your, of your capacities and saying, here is what I have and, and here is what I'm able to, able to give now and here's what I want to be able to give and then making steps to, to move towards where you want to go. So if you can only give right now 5% of your income, let's say, to different charities, to the, to the church, to food banks, to whatever, and you say, well, I want to give 10%. You don't go from 5 to 10% right away. You go 5% one year and then 6% another year and then 7%. And you slowly work your way up to 10 Or if you're at 10% now, you say, well, I want to be able to give more. I want to be able to invest more in God's kingdom to see more people know Jesus. But I I want to go from 10 to 20. Well, it's the same thing. Maybe go from 10 to 11 or 12 and 12 to 14 and 14 to 16. You work your way up. You are very intentional about training yourself to be more generous. It's not just a magical thing that happens. It's an investment. People who don't invest wisely in God's kingdom will never ever see the fruit of God's kingdom in their work. It's not just going to magically happen. God's kingdom is not going to burst forth in the way that you're expecting in your life if you're not intentionally um, engaged in spiritual disciplines in in the practices of the church, which include gathering together in some sense um, and opening God's word to study it. If you're not doing those things, it's going to slowly atrophy your heart and, and stop you from being able to experience the fullness of life that Jesus offers. And that he wants to not just offer you, but offer other people through you. This is the amazing thing that we don't get sometimes, I think, that, and I wish we would, that our faith is not for ourselves, it's for other people. That we are called by Jesus to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That that is the mission of the church, and that is the mission of every single Christian not just the leaders, it's every single Christian is told, go and make disciples, go and baptize them. Go and invite people into relationship with with me. Go and tell them the gospel about my sacrifice for them and my grace and my mercy and that I make it, that 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 a new creation is coming and is indeed already here and will come again in fullness. As we you know, deepen our relationship with Jesus, that should draw us towards being able, or at least being not so much able, but actually willing to put ourselves in, in risky situations to talk about our faith. I'm going to talk about that in a second. We need to invest wisely in God's kingdom to be able to experience the fullness of God's kingdom. And if we don't invest wisely, we won't see the return. And it could take a long time 
to receive the return. Going to invest in God's kingdom is not like, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel to this person in my life, to my to a friend, a roommate, a, a family member, and they're immediately going to just weep at the grace of God and convert and all. No, that's that happens. It doesn't happen that often. Oftentimes, it's planting seeds and allowing God to to water those seeds and grow those seeds until they take root and grow into a into a vibrant tree of faith. It takes time to see the fruit of that tree even develop in a way that we can really that we can grasp. So we we send out all these things uh, knowing that we may not actually see a return. The return may take generations sometimes. But God says, no, if you send out my word, it, uh, it will come back. You'll be uh, reading about that, a passage that describes that in the reflection questions at the end of our service. So you can keep an eye out for that. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. So look at the weather around us and decide, okay, in this situation, am I going to, if I, if I sow seeds of the gospel, is it just going to blow away because of the context of a conversation? Or is this a time where maybe I can, I can plant something that will take root over time? Or if there's a storm in someone's life and we're trying to we're trying to tell them the gospel, that might not be the best time, because the water may wash it away, or it just might be, it might be too difficult in that season to be able to help them see the good news of the gospel. So instead, we wait. We, in both situations, we love and care for people. We show them God's grace and mercy, and compassion and kindness and generosity, and then uh, we, we wait for those times when the weather is right and proper for sowing and reaping. But those times of proper sowing and reaping do come, and that takes wisdom to discern exactly when that is. So we don't want to hold back ourselves out of fear, hey? We don't want to be fearful of maybe the reaction of others, or being thought of as intolerant because Canadians are are polite, if you know what I mean. Like we're 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 well, we're insincerely polite. It's very strange. We're insincerely kind to each other. I'm not sure what to make of that personally. Um, because it's it's sort of how Canadian culture functions. Um, but there are boundaries to that, that if you overstep, you can, you can, you can sense that you've overstepped them. And the, and there's a, there's like a, we have a cultural sixth sense about this stuff. It's really interesting. We're not called in our faith to hold back because of fear. We're called to step out in faith despite our fear. And we leave the results up to God. And we trust that God will take all of our efforts and use them for his glory, not ours. 
And just to further this point even more, that we don't know the outcomes of or the results that are going to come to us, Solomon wants to remind us at the end of this passage that we really don't know anything. We know a lot less than what we think we know. We see this in verses 5 and 6. You do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Now, we might read that passage and be like, well, no, we have meteorologists who can tell us the, the weather patterns, and we have ultrasounds to be able to look inside a mother's, a mother's womb to watch the, the baby grow, or we can, we can actually put cameras in, in, in mother's wombs to watch babies grow. That sort of oversimplifies and overassumes the amount of knowledge that we actually have. For example, compare the 7 and 14 day uh, projections for what the weather is going to be like over the next week to what the weather is actually like on those days. And you're going to find that more often than not, they are wildly incorrect because the weather is wildly difficult to predict in any reasonable sense. Usually at the, the only, the only, uh, reasonable sort of meteorological, um, meteor, meteorology, the most accurate <laughs> projection of weather is only about, only about two or three days. More than that, you're getting into sort of trying to figure out something that can't be figured out. So even now we can't, we don't really know that wind. We can't tell exactly where it's blowing. But even more than that, children in the womb, we can, we can talk about the development of children in the womb a lot, and we can sort of name the different steps and what's going on, but the reality is we have zero clue how it works. We don't know how it happens. It just does. And the process of the cells coming together and, and creating human life, we we have very little understanding of even just our brains for, 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 uh, children, children, men and women who are born, children who are born. Scientists know our brains like they, uh, well, they don't know very much about it. If you were to, if I was to analogize it the way that I've heard it from, um, housemates and, uh, friends who are, who, who's, who study, uh, neuropsychology and, and, and the brain have said, you can think about our knowledge of the brain like this, that it's sort of like if you can picture a map with the different continents on it and the major population centers and, and just major roads connecting those population centers, that's what we know about the brain. But we don't know all the individual roads in those population centers. We don't know the populations of them. We don't know how the population interacts with each other. Or, and we don't know all the little towns maybe around. We have a sense that maybe they're there, but it's not quite there. So we know sort of the, the continents, the major parts of the brain. We know the, the major parts in those parts that do specific tasks. But how it all works together, how it all functions, we have no idea. We know very little about the brain. And this is what this passage is reminding us. We, we know so little just even about ourselves. What makes us think that we're able to grasp the totality of God's will in the world? It's not possible, friends. And so why do we even try? 
to grasp all that. Uh, why do we even try try to try to grasp the totality of God's will? We can know bits and pieces of God's will as He reveals them to us, particularly by His Word. And those are the things that we're called to grasp hold of, and not to try to grasp and then control other other bits and pieces. We're tried to we're we're called to grasp those pieces that He gives us very clearly. But we still don't know the outcomes of things. We do work for Jesus. We do work for God. We do the work of ministry and spreading the gospel. But we still cannot know the outcomes. Which might seem discouraging. But again, we just don't know how the world works. We don't understand the work of God, the maker of all things. And if we don't know the outcome, what does this passage say? Work. In the morning, sow seed, do some work. In the evening, make sure your hands are not idle. That is, you could, in, the, in agriculture, you'd be repairing uh, machinery, feeding animals, uh, maybe doing some surgery on them. And in today, today's sort of parlance, we'd be doing side hustles or different side projects. Um, away from our work, but that, but what this passage is saying is that make sure those side hustles, make sure those side projects are actually pointed towards God's kingdom of inviting people to Jesus. Or being trained to be able to do the work better. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Invest in all areas of your life. And again with the sewing metaphor, hey? This agricultural metaphor. Which Jesus uses as well to talk about sewing. And I think this is really instructive for us. Jesus, when he talks about sewing, he talks about sowing God's word. About spreading God's word and the good news of the gospel. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to do it in our, we're, 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 we're called to, to get to know God's word and then to share it with other people. And we do that by doing devotions, by reading scripture with our families and helping them to hear and experience God's word. We do it when we teach our kids about the faith, when we read them Bible stories and have conversations around the dinner table. And we do it when we give maybe someone a passage that's been on our hearts for them, or we share passages with each other that have been meaningful to us in different seasons of life. And we do it when we tell someone about Jesus. Because we, to be able to tell someone about Jesus and help them to know Jesus more, we have to point them to the scriptures that point them to Jesus as well. And we might be afraid of doing that, but oftentimes that fear is because we want to be successful, which we know is out of our hands, or we want to do things the best way possible. But friends, the best way to sow God's, the seed of God's word, to invite people to Jesus, 
is just to do it. The best way is to do it. So whichever way that is for you, you know, it's not complicated, but it does take courage. And it takes the conviction of your faith to push you into trusting Jesus with whatever outcome there is, with, which, 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 with whatever result comes. And it could be as easy as, you know, in the midst of conversation, being able to say, you know, I was reading my Bible and this passage was what I was reading and it gave me really this, this comfort. And maybe that's, maybe that's a comfort to you. Or it could be saying, you know, Jesus taught this and this is how I try to live my life. Or it could be saying, I heard in a sermon recently, or it could be um, saying, I, I heard in, a, in this podcast and talking about, talking about Jesus through those avenues. You never know what God is going to use to be able to invite people into relationship with himself. And so any way that you are able is the best way to sow the seed of God's word. So I'm going to, I, I just encourage you to take the risk and to sow God's word in your life, to, to dive deeply into it and to share it with others and do it generously and just see what God will do with it to build his kingdom in the, in your life and in the lives of those around you in the life of, excuse me, those who you share God's word with and in the life of our church, a kingdom outpost for the world to see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to these pa this passage today and see that you instruct us to invest our time and talents and treasures and to know when to plant and when to reap. And sometimes that can feel really discouraging because we can ship out all these things and not receive the return that we expect. But Father, even the return we may receive is not returned for us and for our sake, but it's all for you. And so Father, I pray today that you would give us courage to be able to, to sow the seed of your word in our lives and the deep trust that enables us not to worry about the return or the outcomes that, that will come from doing that. Help us to know those times when we should be planting and help us to know those times when we should be reaping. Help us to know when we should be telling people about Jesus and help us to know when we should be comforting them and being the hands and feet of Jesus in their life. And Father, we know that we can't know the details, all the details of life and all the details of your will, but I ask that you would make clear to us your will in particular situations in our lives. Lead us, Father, towards knowing uh, the seed that we're sowing 
and help our hands not to be idle so that we can do all that you have prepared for us to do in advance of our coming to faith and we can do that well to your glory and and for the for the sake of your kingdom we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.